Stories move hearts and hearts move impact. Slingshot Stories. 10 to 15 minute episodes built around what we believe to be really practical key areas of impact that are going to help you grow in your understanding of what impact is and how you can accomplish it. Everybody's on planet Earth for a reason. Find your sweet spot, get off the bench, and get in the game. Welcome to Slingshot Stories, a series produced in collaboration with Journey to Impact and Slingshot Memphis. I'm Ed Gellantine, and I'll be co-hosting this series along with my partner in Impact, Jared Barnett, the CEO of Slingshot Memphis. We're going to go hard, we're going to go fast, and we're going to go deep. So buckle up and let's get rolling. And Jared, we've got another really important topic today. How do you vet an impact organization? Like I think about Memphis, there's thousands of nonprofits and other types of impact organizations presumably doing a lot of overlap, having a lot of overlap, doing the same thing. So how do you come up with some questions, a framework to vet organizations to make sure your time, your money, your resources are going to the most effective impact organization? Fantastic question. Hard thing to answer. Uh, But I think there are ways to do that. And so for me, there are kind of two overarching questions that I think I start with around this. First is, how does this organization improve the quality of life, whether that's through improvements in income, improvements in health or other ways for the people it serves. So just in absolute terms, right? How, how does it do that? The second one is how does it do that on a relative basis? So it's a relative question around compared to other similar organizations, how effective is this organization at achieving those outcomes as other organizations in the city? So I can think about absolute, am I getting, you know, outcomes there or Second, you know, on a relative basis, I'm investing in organizations that has relatively greater impact than another organization. So if you think about those two things, that gives you a perspective around how to think about philanthropy and supporting impact organizations. So when you talk about the absolute and the relative, I kind of feel like relative information is more challenging to get because it, it's on a, a fluctuating scale, right? How do y'all approach that? Because y'all are doing some really crazy, interesting research that takes a crazy amount of work. How are y'all approaching that uh, here in Memphis? Yeah, so for us, we've created a standardized methodology to do that so that just like I can look at financial statements and take that and compare that across similar organizations, our framework allows you to do that for similar organizations, but from a poverty-finding effectiveness lens, not a financial performance lens like financial statements. Give us some examples of some what I'd call high-level look-fors when you're looking at maybe a couple of, of organizations and you're wondering which one is more effective. The first thing to start with is outcomes, right? So what is that organization doing that improves the quality of life, the income, the health of its participants? We want to answer the question, so what? Why did it matter, right? Like what right. was the benefit that was someone received from, from receiving these services? And so the first question is, does the organization, can they explain what they're trying to achieve, right? What their outcomes are. If an organization isn't able to explain what their outcomes are, there's a very low probability that they're achieving them in the way that you know, is most effective. The second question is then, how do they know if it's working? Sure. Right? And so you know, knowing what you're trying to achieve and then knowing if it's working or not is important. And there's a scale, right, of things that you can use. There's the anecdotes, which are often what we typically hear, right? Oh, I got this great story about, you know, Jason or about Belinda or, or whoever that might be. And 
that's a good, you know, starting data point, but I sure as heck wouldn't make a financial decision based on a couple anecdotes, right? Right. And so it, the more systematic that evidence is, the more confident we can be that that organization is achieving what it wants to. So if it could say, well, hey, we've tracked this and we know that X percent of our students that we support graduate high school, and you can compare that to the average high school graduation rate, you can see, well, is there a difference there? Right? Or if they can say, well, hey, you know, they graduated high school and they went to get a post-secondary degree and you know, enrolled in, in a college or got a job that paid this amount, that's where you can start to understand is the change happening. And so we've learned that the organizations that are further along that spectrum of, of that are m- more aware about their effectiveness. And so it, it doesn't mean they're always more effective, but they're at least more aware and then they're able to do something with that versus... The alternative is where you're kind of hoping and praying right. that it's working, but you don't really know. That's interesting. You mentioned uh, anecdotes. And on the Journey to Impact podcast, we're, we're telling stories or we're having people tell stories because that gets at the heart. But if you have the heart without sort of the mind, the data piece, it's, it's simply not going to work. So I, I think it's interesting you brought that up because I do feel like most impact decisions are driven at least as much or more, excuse me, by stories and by anecdotes and by intangible ideas as they are with data. And so I think it's important. The one that I hear the most, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is, well, my organization raised X number of dollars, so we must be effective. And that just doesn't feel right. It feels like that's just one lens through which to look. So how do you guys tackle that particular metric as like the main one? Yeah. So the short answer is we don't care. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's the simplest answer. We don't care how much money you've raised or how big your budget is. Uh, w- the way we try and, and think about that is at the end of the day, what we care about with all of our impact is, is how is it influencing the lives of the people that are being you know, supported by this organization? And so when we keep our focus on that, it, we can get rid of some of these other factors that might be easy to measure. It's easy to measure how much money we raised. It's easy to measure how many people did we work with. But neither of those actually answer the question, did it improve the quality of life of the people being served? Those are like inputs as opposed to outputs. Is that fair? Right. Yeah. And I would even say that outputs are things that you can like, like okay, great. Like I produced so many you know graduates of this or I enrolled so many people. The next step in our mind is that outcomes piece. How did it change their life? And that's really, I think, what's hard in, in, uh, in poverty fighting is we haven't had agreed upon metrics to kind of measure those outcomes. And so we're, we're been kind of left to what can we measure, which is inputs and outputs. But Slingshot Memphis's goal is to help the ecosystem transition to that outcomes focus view, create metrics to measure those outcomes so that we could be more aware and understand how is it changing the lives of people as the primary kind of criteria and how we make decisions? Talk about, um, if you don't mind, y'all's work with Memphis Center City Rugby. Because as I recall, after y'all did your studying and your report and the impact profile summary that came out of that, it kind of had very little to do with rugby. But that doesn't mean you don't do rugby, right? Because the impact was, as I recall, crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's a, a great story. And, and we got to give a lot of credit to, to Shane and Devin and Andrea and their team because they, they're just dynamic at what they do. But by working together, we realized that rugby was just a, a means to an end, right? That right. rugby by itself was not this 
special sport that was different than basketball or football or other things that, that youth might play. Uh, but what was amazing about and transformative with what MICR was doing was the support that they were providing around this rugby. And it evolved over time. You know, it started as just an after-school rugby program. Now, the way they view it is rugby is just their pathway to helping these students enter post-secondary education or the workforce in a way that they can be more successful at that or have access to something they hadn't had access to before. And so Memphis Inner City Rugby has really embraced that wraparound concept. And that goes from helping students you know, gain financial aid to schools, helping create pathways to college rugby programs so that they can get scholarships to play sports and enter college with something that they're good at, which is rugby, uh, and have support to do that. They have an alumni wraparound uh, support program where basically alumni uh, will have someone who supports them going through post-secondary. Because a lot of times some of these, these students haven't had family members or friends who have gone to college. And so you don't know what you don't know. And so this alumni support program helps kind of have someone there walking hand in hand with them as they're going through, how do I pick out classes? What do I think about in terms of do I work or not during college? Uh, All of those things, they have someone who can be a mentor and a support to them as they go through that so that, again, they can take full advantage of the access that they now have instead of saying, well, hey, you got into college, but you've never been to college. Nobody you know has been to college and it didn't work out, well, hey, sorry, you just didn't work hard enough. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so that's a big part of what uh, Memphis Inner City Rugby is doing is, is it's this now continuum of, you know, they start working with kids early on, you know, elementary, middle school age, and now they're building this continuum of trust and a relationship with them that then helps them into a position where now that they've graduated college or looking at their career, much higher probability of, of achieving the financial and economic success they want to in life versus having to do all of that on their own. I love their story. And I, and I think of Advanced Memphis. I think of uh, 413 Strong in Nashville. Um, and what I keep getting back to is what you started with, right, which is what are the outcomes? Rugby is not really the outcome in this sense, but it's really important. But you, all, you had to do all the work to try to understand the data. So one of the things that I feel like in a city like Memphis, and I, I think this is true all over the country, Thousands of nonprofits, right, working on not thousands of problems. And in my own mind, I think that's a lot of administrative assistance getting paid for overlapping work. So I'm thinking, all right, like we don't need all of these. So one question, and and I want to get your thoughts on this. One question that I ask new impact organizations is, are you collaborating with other people in your space? Because if they're not, that's a red flag for me. Have y'all found that to be true in your research? Um, or is that a terrible question to ask? Yeah, so it, it's one of the core dimensions of, of, we call it our impact study of how we evaluate effectiveness. And so we call it systems level change. And in our mind, it's how does the organization contribute and the broader community in terms of poverty alleviation. And we typically think of that in two ways. One is kind of pathways, which is typically developed through partnerships where they create pathways for their participants to other services that they might need to help support them. Or it's through policies, the second. And policy would be what we typically think of, you know, changing something at a a government level or an agency level that has poverty-fighting benefits uh, in the broader community. And so to me, when you work in isolation, you fall into this 
paradigm of like, I'm going to do my thing really well, but you may not realize that even if you do your thing really well, it's not going to lead to the outcomes you want because the people you're working with might need some other complementary things that you're not providing. And that's okay that you're not providing it, right? But you want to be mindful of, okay, if I want to get the most, the highest outcomes for the work that I'm doing, I might need to have something happening in these other interconnected areas that would allow that to happen. And I want to find ways to work with other organizations to make sure that the participants I'm working with, the people that I care about that are receiving these services, see the outcomes or the change in their life that they hope for. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so we've got our 15-minute uh, um, timeline, and we've got the engineers in Nashville about to hit the fader. Kind of recap, vetting an impact organization, where do you start and what are those frameworks? Just recap for us real quick and yep. we'll wrap it up. Start with the outcomes, right? On an absolute basis, what are the benefits that are being created for the people that organization works with? Then go to the relative. How are those benefits compared to other similar organizations? Um, so that you make sure you're thoughtful around is, are you supporting the organization that's most effective at that? Then you have a series of questions you can think about. Can they explain the outcomes they want to achieve? Can they validate that with evidence and, and that you know how they're able to understand if what they're doing is there? You can ask about their programs, right? How do they develop their programs? What is it based on? Is it something that they kind of dreamed up, which sometimes you have to do, but, or is it something that's based on research practices that have proven to be effective? Uh, how are they interacting with the community in a way that, and other organizations, in a way that ensures that people they're working with are receiving the complementary support to fully benefit from the services this one organization is providing? Uh, so that it's, again, not done in a silo and, and done in a way that, again, is interconnected to support the people that they are, they are working with. Fantastic. And I would wrap up by saying, if you're not asking the right questions, you're highly likely to get the wrong answer, or at least an answer that doesn't matter to you. But also, if you're asking good questions, they're going to lead to more good questions. And so I would encourage you to write down these questions, these thoughts that Jared has shared with you and let them be a springboard when you're talking to impact organizations. Let them be a springboard for more questions. Get your notes together and then that should help you build a framework for how to move forward and how to pick and choose and maximize impact with your resources. I would also say, and we'll need to come back to this a little bit later, that slingshotmemphis.org is a wealth of information. And you can go look for their impact profile summaries that really synopsize a lot of these questions for a lot of different organizations. And again, those allow you to dig a little bit deeper as you read them and you get more questions. You can dig a little bit deeper, which God willing leads to more impact. Thanks a million. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. We love your feedback. So please let us know what you thought about this episode as well as what you'd like to hear more of in the future. For more information, impact resources, or to purchase a copy of the book, Journey to Impact, visit edgillentine.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E.com. The book is also available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. For Ed Gillentine speaking inquiries or advertising opportunities, send us an email at ajourneytoimpact at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the Journey to Impact podcast team. Executive producer, Ed Gillentine. Associate producer, Meredith Taylor. Produced and edited by Joey Woodruff. Special thanks to Stephen Chandler. Mm-hmm.